MNK Talk YA now presents Winter Song Part 2 from the Winter Song Duet by S.J. Jones. to another episode of M&K Talk YA. I'm Katie Bradford. And I'm Marissa Snyder. And this is our podcast where we talk about all kinds of young adult fiction. And this week, we finished up Winter Song by S.J. Jones. And we read, and we finished the book. <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting confused because I thought that it was the first episode for some reason. <laughs> well, I was getting, I just was finished editing the first episode, so I was like, wait, did we read that far? I feel like I something about that seems familiar, but we finished it. It feels actually like almost a second book in the series. Like I feel like it's yes. so different from the first part even. Just because now it took place fully in the underworld. It was kind of like a new cast of characters. Yes, they were, you know, it was still Liesel and it was still the Goblin King, but we didn't really know, like we just got to know him better. We didn't really see her siblings directly. It just kind of felt... Like, I think we picked a good stopping place on accident. <laughs> I think we did, too, although it was so hard not to read ahead because I really wanted to see this wedding. Uh-huh. And Did it live up to your expectations? Oh, my God. What chaos. I was actually thinking of you because I know you're planning your wedding, and I was like, oh, boy, I wonder if Kay's taking notes <laughs> about what not to do for your wedding. Well, we do want it to be in a church, so <laughs> that's, like, the only thing we've decided, kind of, like, the only detail they came up with. <laughs> Yeah, I'm guessing you're not going to have essentially a massive orgy and everyone gets drunk and then they rip your dress off. We ha- we haven't worked out the details of the reception yet, but we'll see. <laughs> I do kind of want to see the wolf ring, though. That seems really cool to me. The wolf ring? Oh, her wedding ring. Yeah, with the two different stone eyes and being a wolf. Yeah, <laughs> I know That's you like- love wolves so much. <laughs> You're getting all kinds of ideas for your wedding. <laughs> yep. Forget Pinterest. Just <laughs> <laughs> just keep reading goblin dark yeah. romances and yeah. You can have a gown made of spider webs that's see-through. Yeah, no, I don't think our wedding will be very similar to that, to be honest. Okay. I just I have a feeling it might be more like the Red Rising wedding that we saw just because that's the only book James has read. But there was a wedding in Red Rising. <laughs> Remember how weird Severo and uh Oh, What's yeah. Her name? But it was kind of a weird, different tradition. Several like, different red traditions and stuff. That's right. You know what? I just finished reading Iron Gold. Oh, how was it? It was a lot. <laughs> will I like it? Was it good? I think you will. It was definitely really good. There were some moments that were just like, I mean, it's a brutal book. And there were some moments where I was just like, this is almost too much, even for me. Oh, wow. But it was it was very entertaining and it was cool to see where the story went, for sure. I read, I guess I must have been feeling nostalgic for season one or something, or just like in a podcasting mood, or I went to Target. I don't know. But I read Language of Thorns, or whatever, the short stories from Mm -hmm. the verse, and I also read A Night of Puppets and Cake, or whatever. Oh, A Night of Cake and Puppets. I just started that. Okay. Are you beginning on Kindle? I love it so far. Yeah, and it has the illustration. Okay, it does. I was just checking, because that was one of the coolest parts, was, um, and it's her husband who illustrated it. Oh my god, that's awesome. At least I think it is. I might have just lied. I love <laughs> husband and wife teams. 
I love yeah. that. Like when a couple does something creative together. I just, I think that's fabulous. You, and, you guys should do something. I don't know what. We always talk <laughs> about doing like funny t-shirts or even just like funny wine labels or something. Chad has a lot of good ideas. Yeah. I feel like Chad would be a good creative partner. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mostly we just talk about buying cars. That's James's. James's passion is cars. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, we've been doing this thing where we got so off topic so fast. We've been doing this thing where, because um, I've been really uninspired with cooking lately. And so Chad just tells me the name of like a fictitious dish that he wants me to make. And then I have to interpret it. So this week I'm making spaghetti salad. <laughs> That's actually really cool. That sounds, you guys should make a cookbook now. I know. <laughs> and I, I don't know what I'm going to do, <laughs> but I'm sure I'll come up with something. Last week I made taco pie and it was really good. Mm. I would I would eat all of these things, even knowing nothing about them besides the name. Well, anyway, speaking of couples, let's talk about Liesl and the Goblin King because they're married now. Are, no, they're unmarried now. Well, yes. Or true. something. <laughs> I was going to start at the beginning of the Okay, okay, half. yes. So the wedding just happened. We just, okay. <laughs> we finished part one. The wedding happened. They're married. Twig and Thistle dress her for her wedding and say she's going to her funeral, which I liked that. Yeah. They're, they're some of my favorite characters. They're kind of I agree. Fun. I, I feel like we see this theme in every book, but like the lack of communication just bugged me so much throughout this whole story. Like, I feel like every problem that was caused, it was like, because no one's telling her anything. Like, like she didn't even know the consequences of, like I said, she even accept, like at the last episode, I was talking about how when she agreed to go underground, I didn't even feel like they really talked about why she needed to do that. Like they told the story, but they didn't actually say like, you know, winter's going to if you don't mm-hmm. do this, this is the consequence or anything. And I right. feel like she never really understood the consequences. So I got all of her like frustration and like misinterpreting things and whatnot. And I was just like, why don't you guys just give her a little something to go off of, especially yeah. the Goblin King. A little brief on how to be the Goblin Queen and what you can and can't do. But even then, when they tell her things that she can't do, it, it sometimes doesn't hold up. Yeah. Like, that scene where, like, she escapes with the changelings and goes above ground, and he was like, now you can never come back to the underground. And she's like, no, please, take me back. And then the next sentence, the Goblin King is like, well, fine, okay, you can come back. So it's like, they're making these rules, and then they break them. And so I'm not really sure what to believe anymore. And even, like, so they said, as long as someone above ground remembers and loves you, Mm -hmm. then you'll continue to live fine underground. It's kind of the implication, right? But then she started to lose her senses, but then they, like, came back. So did that mean, like, someone forgot her temporarily, but then, (laughs) like... remembered, oh, wait, I have a sister. (laughs) Like, oh, there's some strawberries. Remember how my sister exists? Like... (laughs) That's a really good question. I don't know. Because I was kind of confused by what kind of triggered things getting worse and what kind of triggered things getting better. Like, I couldn't quite... Because it also seemed like when she and the Goblin King enjoyed each other's company more she suffered physically from that also so that's like seemed to be why he was keeping himself away from her right i guess are you talking about the horrible sex scenes yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) just to be explicit (laughs) um yeah not great not great i i was just reading back on my notes and the first one was just pretty terrible the first one she cries which is awful and then the second one i wrote something like they have sex, and then she gets a nosebleed and goes deaf. 
which is like essentially what happens. And I was and I was just got confused because I thought this half of the book was gonna be like Fifty Shades of Grey meets Labyrinth, which uh-huh. I mean, I guess to be fair, it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey had great sexy. <laughs> but I I don't know. I was expecting it to be like a little bit more racy in a good way, but I I was really turned off by it because. I, I felt so conflicted because I was frustrated with her for wanting to have sex with him because I was like, why do you want anything to do with him? Like, he kidnapped you. He tricked you. He he hurt your sister. Like, I don't understand why you're jumping his bones. Also, then, it seemed kind of weird given her, at least above ground, you know, judgment of her sister, her reaction to being called like the other girls when she was like pursuing the kiss. And then underground, she was like, basically ignoring all the consent rules you're supposed to and being like, I don't care that you said no. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I want you. (laughs) Exactly. And then, so that was kind of problematic. And then I also didn't like that when she did want to have sex with him, he made her feel ashamed for wanting him. So I, like, on both sides, I had problems. Again, the communication wasn't there. If anything, I think the last sex scene was a little bit different and seemed better. It did seem a little bit better, but still, like... But it didn't make up for everything else, yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand why she's attracted to him. I think I just need to know more about him. Like, we don't really get a ton of scenes where he's doing something extremely redeeming, and it would take a lot to redeem himself after what he did. Well, yes and no, because again, she still went down there of her own free will. Apparently, she has all these memories of, like, their great childhood together, even though we don't really see them. Like, I I can't imagine if, you know, he is this, at least some of the time, reminds her of basically her best friend, her musical inspiration growing up, like, all of that, that that would carry over a little bit. But but I agree in general, like, he's not likable enough. But also, she's all alone. Like, if him compared to the goblins, like... Yeah, I'll take him too. <laughs> yeah, he was my only choice. <laughs> yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess so. I also just didn't like the whole thing about like after they have sex for the first time, she was like, she felt like she had crossed, she had like crossed into womanhood, and it was like this right that she went through, and I just didn't like that because I was like, you're still the same person before and after. Well, you know, I, I think. I don't think it was the first time, or maybe it was, but one of the times she was like, I need you to break me so I can figure out who I am. Like, that whole thing was kind of a weird, uh, I didn't relate to that. (laughs) No, me either. And it just kind of put too much hype around the whole idea of, like, people feeling they need to lose their virginity because they're not a man or not a woman until they do, and how it's like, you know, there's so much pressure around that. And I didn't like that this kind of gave into that a little bit. And again, they're just like the buildup felt weird because it wasn't like she seemed super like into I need to lose my virginity when she was in the real world. Like she kind of seemed like, yes, she wanted to be desired, but she didn't seem like especially like sexually driven or, you know, like, I don't know. And then she barely knows this guy and she's given up everything, you know, like it is a weird situation, but she at minimum barely knows him and is like, yeah, I'm ready for all everything right now. Everything that I was not interested in before remotely. And again, I still just don't understand hearing the legend, knowing she's going to die, even with, like, I don't know what took her so long to ask some of the details about what does that mean or how does this work or... Yeah, I kind of was excited when they started playing that game, um, Truth or Forfeit, Uh because I was like, oh, we're finally going to get some answers and, like, know something about this Goblin King. And then he, like, wouldn't even tell her his name. Yeah. (laughs) And we eventually got some things about him, but it's still just enough to make me want to know more. But also I'm kind of like, okay, 
I'm bored of waiting. <laughs> like, I'm not, yeah. you're not interesting enough in the meantime, almost, for me to wait for I kind that. of agree. And I wish that um, we heard more about his past, because I, I guess he, like, made a deal with the devil or something, and, and they, like, tricked him into being the Goblin King, and that's why there's always a Goblin King, but, like... Well, I feel, I kind I of feel, feel like whoever was the Goblin King before him, like, switched places with him or somehow tricked him or something. Yeah, I agree. So I I'm curious that. if he can do the same thing. Can he go find someone and trick them? I know, but who do we hate enough that we'd want to trick into becoming the king? I mean, I wouldn't want to trick anyone, but if I were him, I would. I wish there was, like, a villain, though, like, up on Earth that we hated that he could trick into taking his place, and then I wouldn't feel bad. Well, maybe in book two we'll meet some terrible people. Okay. Ooh, what about, You're hoping. What about the uh, music teacher of Joseph? Oh, Master Antonius. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem great. He's he's the most or the least level of person we know so far, I would say, outside of the underground. <laughs> yes, I agree. Maybe he'll be the next Goblin King. I also learned how to pronounce some of the names because, <laughs> of course, at the end of the book, they have a pronunciation guide. Oh, did I just totally skip that? Or did I just... No, mine didn't have that. <laughs> it didn't? No. <laughs> well... Teach me, teach me. We've been pronouncing everything wrong. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> Ooh, there is one in the second book. It has a guide to names and titles for me. Oh, there you go. Okay, so we've been pronouncing um, jo- Yosef's name is Yosef, not Joseph. And then um, oh, her sister is Kate. Okay. It's K-E-I-T-E-H. How would you pronounce that? Katie? Is it just Katie? <laughs> I mean, that's not how I spell my name, but... I know, because it's spelled like... Kata. 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 Oh, I guess, because it's K-A-T-H-E, which I was saying Cass, because I'm an idiot, but Katie. No, I was too, because I thought it was short for Catherine. Let's call her Katie. Okay, she's Katie. And then... Yeah, I think that's it. Those are the two names we were pronouncing wrong. Daryl Key... Oh, I don't even try to pronounce that. (laughs) The Daryl... (laughs) <laughs> I don't even, I'm not, I can't even pronounce pronunciations. <laughs> I know, I can't even pronounce the pronunciation guide. Like, I can't even pronounce it when it's spelled out phonetically. I just call him the Goblin King. <laughs> yeah, I just call him the Goblin King too. If we ever get a real name for him, maybe we That's can. That's right, if we ever find his true name. But then we'll probably have power over him. Isn't that how that works? Isn't that like why he didn't want to tell her his name? Or, no, because his name was a soul and he already gave a soul away, so I don't. I didn't understand his logic, <laughs> but I want to hear him play violin. And I also, I thought it was oh, me cool. Too. I mean, I've, I've been complaining a lot about him, but I liked that he still, so we kind of heard that he had some connections to a monastery, right, mm-hmm. On in the, his real life, and his kind of safe space underground is in the chapel, which is not quite a full chapel, but he's still like praying, he still seems to have some religious beliefs, even in this you know, world that's, like, you'd think if that was your reality, you would probably have abandoned your other views of religion. Yeah. Um, So I thought that is kind of interesting. And he has this guilt, too. Mm -hmm. Maybe, and it it seems like it's for all the other brides that he had who, like, withered and he had to watch them die and wither, which is pretty horrific. Yeah, and again, why would you pick someone you actually like? Like, I mean, not that it's good to pick (laughs) someone you don't like, but I feel like if... If I killed people, even if I had to and I couldn't help it, I would choose people that I didn't f- feel as bad about killing, not like someone who I actually liked. 
But he also has to live with them and get married to them. Yeah. But even when he lives with her and gets married to her, he, like, avoids her the whole time. I know. That's so weird. The few times they spend in each other's company does not sound fun. Like, I know you live underground and there's not much to entertain you down there, but still. Oh, so I actually looked up about experiments of humans living underground. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait to hear this. So, um, this is from sciencealert.com. But... One of the main things that they found when, like, there's been kind of a variety of different times when people have been kept from sunlight. So it's not necessarily underground, but if you've been isolated from sunlight, um, it has a kind of weird effect on your body. But one of the most common things is that you start sleeping a lot more. Oh, I believe it. Um, and so there were these two cave explorers, Josie Lores and Ant- Antoine Sinney who lived underground for a few months in the 60s, and they had stayed in separate caves, so they were also alone, I think. Um, okay. But they both thought that, like, it hadn't been as long as it had been. So they had been down there for multiple months, and they thought that it had only been a couple of weeks. Whoa. And uh, one of them, like, they had researchers up on, like, not underground, on top of the ground. Mm-hmm. Above above ground, if you will. <laughs> in the human world. <laughs> who would, like, keep keep track of their vital signs and things like that, um, and they could give them some clues about the passage of time. You know, like, there was some communication, and they weren't, like, completely alone alone, but um, they would sometimes fall asleep for, like, 30 hours at a time and wake up and think they had just taken a short nap. Oh, my God. That's like being in Vegas. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Like, how casinos don't have windows. I have a friend who, like, went out – to gamble at like 7 p.m. And then he he was just like, oh, I think I'll head home now because it's probably been a couple hours and it was five in the morning. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it's the same thing. They also said like they just got like worn out and bored. It reminded me of, um, Lisa kind of talking about her time underground. Like they said at first they were like reading, but then they lost the desire to do that. Um, they listened to music, but then kind of got bored with it. And event- like, you know, they tried all these kind of things that you do to, spend time in general but it just like you got Didn't bored um, but they the, the reason a lot of these studies were happening was they were trying to figure out the effect of astronauts on long space voyages so oh yeah they do say it's kind of a good indicator that the human body will like stretch out its sleep cycle if it is given the chance like if we ever do something with putting people to sleep and sending them out into space like it's a good sign that our body can do that But this is even crazier. Okay, so this is from Slate.com. But there was this group of 57 people who were living underground in a bunker in the Republic of Tatarstan, which is in Russia. And it was was like this cult. And many of the kids who were part of this cult had literally never seen the sun. Oh, my God. And so they do say that living underground, while it will have like some physical impact, Living underground alone will not shorten your lifespan. So as long as you're, like, eating the right foods and getting enough other stuff, you should live a normal So if life. you have a lot of vitamin D. Yeah. Like, the big, the big thing you have to be aware of is vitamin D. And if you don't have enough vitamin D, then it inhibits calcium absorption. So you have low calcium rates, and that can lead to spasms of the larynx, which causes suffocation. So no. really, the sun does wonderful things for us. <laughs> it's like the reds in Red Rising. Yeah. Didn't they but all live just, underground? Yeah, they did. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's a lot of. Did they grow a normal at a normal rate? 
Because I would imagine that the kids would not grow normally. I did not hear anything about their... They didn't specifically call that out as a normal or abnormal thing. I'm guessing if they had enough space and were active that they still would if they were eating healthy, though. But I don't know for sure. Have you read the book Enclave? No, I haven't. It's actually really good. It's um, it's a YA book, but it's about like a group of people who live underground, and then they like venture out. It's interesting. Have you read that book about people who live in a uh, wool? That's the name of it. Wool. Oh, you know what? It has been on my TBR list for forever. I read. I read. There's like five shorter books that are all in one. Yeah. Book of one version of it, and I read those five. Before. Was it good? It was good. It was, was kind of. Like, it wasn't a feel-good book. Okay. <laughs> but it was good. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> That's kind of how Red Rising is. Like, it's not a feel-good book. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting, but you're like, oh, God. A, a Night I of just... Cake and Puppets, though. That's a pretty feel-good that book. That is, is so need, far if you so need good. <laughs> no one's getting both their arms cut off with a razor. Um, okay, so I did some research, too, today. Mm-hmm. So I, the part that I really liked about the book was I really liked the changelings. Yeah. Because they were kind of scary and creepy. Um, and of course I liked that. And, and especially because of how they still seemed so human-like sometimes, but could kind of morph between looking more human or less human. Yeah. Ugh. I love that. <laughs> but I also kind of felt bad because the um, king said that the changelings are products of children who had selfish wishes. But then the example he gave was like, a child who like wished to not be killed by the black plague or something like that and I was just like is that really selfish like I mean world peace would be great but like (laughs) I don't think it's selfish to like see your whole family die from disease and be like please god don't let that be my fate yeah anyway no I agree and when you I mean again I don't know but like a lot of people just make wishes without like really making wishes we've seen we've also seen through a series of books how dangerous unthought out wishes can be but like it's it seems hard to imagine a kid in that situation being like oh please i don't want to die like you said and then being like oh well okay now i'm a changeling you should have thought twice about that (laughs) here's your fate it's a cruel world (laughs) and it's also kind of weird because her brother's a changeling oh yeah yosef but he's alive because she actually loves him Yes. But, like, that that was just, like, a whole weird thing, too. It's Was her wish even granted if her brother wasn't really her brother? <laughs> no, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. Because it was, I mean, he was still her brother, even though he wasn't the brother that was born to her. I guess I'm kind of confused by how <laughs> the changeling relates to the human version of the... I am, too. Because we, we don't see, like, a changeling version of Yosef down on, in the underground, do we? Maybe we do. No, I got the feeling that if she stopped loving him or if his whole family stopped loving him, then he would end up there. Oh, well, okay. Let me tell you a little bit more about Changeling. Okay. Yeah. Maybe this will clarify it. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'll stop making things up. Okay. <laughs> okay, so a Changeling child was believed to be a fairy child that had been left in place of a human child. So they, they think that fairies will, like when a, when a human baby is born... The legend is that fairies will go and steal the human baby and they'll leave one of their own in its Why? place. Why? Why would they <laughs> Good question. want to do that? <laughs> so there's a lot of different re- uh, different ideas of why a fairy would want to do that. So sometimes they would leave an older fairy, like an, a fairy who was like about to die, 
because they knew that the humans would coddle it and care for it until the fairy perished. So it was like, I don't want to take care of you, but I found someone who will? Yes. Okay. And sometimes they would take a human child because they wanted the human child, either because they loved it or because they wanted um, the child to be a servant to them. So they would steal children to be their servants, or sometimes they would just take them to be mean. Yeah, that sounds like fairies. The the other reason is that sometimes they thought um, it was more respectable for a fairy child to be brought up by humans and that the humans could give it a better um, upbringing. Okay. And some other people believe that fairies in general have just made a deal with the devil and they require a blood sacrifice. And instead of killing their own babies, they use human children to fulfill this sacrifice. So is there a, like, is there a way to prevent your baby from being taken? Absolutely. So (laughs) please tell me. (laughs) That's the next section. Signs that your baby is a changeling. Oh man. (laughs) Things every new mother should know. (laughs) So one thing you can do to prevent your baby from being <laughs> taken by the fairy. One is... sentence you never thought you'd say, right? <laughs> so you could baptize it. Okay. They said that um, if you were if they if a child was baptized, they were thought to be safe from the fairies. Um, they also thought that fairies have an aversion to iron. So iron is like historically known to be recognized as like anti magic. So if you want to, if you feel up to it, you could hang, they recommend that you hang a pair of iron kitchen shears above the baby's cradle, because that's not dangerous that at all. That seems smart. <laughs> yep. So, um, so if you want to hang some open kitchen shears in the form of a cross, that could prevent your baby from being taken. Okay, so here's something that might freak you out. Oh, okay, good, because this isn't freaking me out yet. I mean, I don't think, I think you're probably safe, but they said that um, beautiful children or children with blonde hair were said to attract fairies, so they were especially at risk. Why do you think I'm especially safe? You think my babies are going to be ugly? No, I was talking about you. I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I wasn't a changeling. Yes! I, thought, you know, like I wouldn't have to worry about my babies being taken because I only like the beautiful ones. <laughs> no, I meant like you're already almost thirty years old, so you're probably not going to be st- stolen from the fairies. But when you were a baby, okay. you were probably at risk because you were blonde. I, you know, I used to think that I probably wasn't related to my parents, so maybe I'm a changeling. Well, okay, so that's this is the other thing, right? So how to tell if your child is a changeling? One of <laughs> One of the things that would happen, they thought, with changeling children would be, um, so it was like a perfectly healthy baby that you would give birth to, right? And then the fairies would steal it and leave one of theirs in its place, and then the baby would sicken and die, or wither, and, or just fail to thrive. The the fairy baby would? Yeah. And that was like okay. a sign that you maybe had a changeling, if like your baby suddenly got sick for no reason. But, I mean, it's a really great example of people trying to cope with a high infant death mortality or a high infant mortality, right? Because so many kids got unexplained diseases or had disorders or developmental disabilities. And that was kind of sadly a a way that parents would Mm -hmm. cope with that. Like my baby's safe with the fairies and... Yes, yes. So they would say, well, you know, my baby's safe and they took comfort in that. Um, But at the same time, it was really bad because... A lot of times parents would convince themselves that the baby they had was a changeling and so they would discard it or they would kill it. I was going to ask because um, I don't know a ton about 
postpartum depression, but like would something like that back in the olden days, if you like aren't, you know, aren't connecting with your baby or or like, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that can just happen if you like aren't feeling that connection or you're going to start to think that your baby isn't really your baby. And yeah, I mean, I think that could definitely be an explanation or or you could just attribute any ailment or sign of weakness to thinking the baby's a changeling Mm -hmm. to, to get rid of it. Um, so it was also like a way to explain children who maybe had deformities or, um, you know, Down syndrome or autism or things like that. Um, and it was sad because parents who had children like that were often cruel to them because they thought that they were changelings. But other signs that your baby is a changeling, um, (laughs) back then they would believe if your child was left-handed, that could be a sign. Mm -hmm. So if you have a string of bad luck, so it's like... A child could be blamed, let's say, if the if the family goes broke or, you know, gets stricken with poverty, they could blame the child. Mm-hmm. As if you didn't have enough problems as an infant back then, they're going to put some iron kitchen shears over your bed and blame you for everything that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Oh, man. Um, they also said if you have a baby that cries excessively or um, if you have a child that starts exhibiting really bad behavior... Basically, they're like, if your child isn't exactly how you want them, blame the fairy. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because another sign was if your child was too intelligent. (laughs) So, like, if your child learned too quickly, that was a sign that they may have been kidnapped. The real child may have been kidnapped. If they do the dishes too fast. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) basically, I think, unfortunately, back then, I think people had a lot of mouths to feed. And if they were possibly um, poverty-stricken parents, they some of them may have looked for a reason to get rid of extra children. And it may not have even been, I mean, like it could have even been, to your point, if it was almost like a population control thing, for, like that that stuff would have been encouraged, stories like that would have been encouraged or passed around or that uh, oh, assessment says, could have been given, yeah, you know, from a, from a like smarter group of people even. How awful would that be? Not that shocking for back in the yeah, day. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, so that's, that's what I read about changelings. I thought it was... Oh, this is actually kind of cool, too. So, changeling... The idea of a changeling actually happens in nature, too. So, have there's this bird called the parasitic cuckoo bird. That's an awesome name. <laughs> I know. So, it regularly practices non-reciprocal offspring swapping, which is they... Rather than raising their young on their own, they'll lay their egg in another bird's nest. I've heard about that, actually. Okay. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. the bird, this other bird, comes back and it's like, oh, I forgot that I had an egg. And it will raise the young on their own. So, like, the, this other bird will take on the burden of, like, incubating the egg. And then once the egg hatches, they think it's their own, right? So they feed it and they devote all their time and attention to this parasitic bird's offspring. And then a lot of times when the cuckoo chick hatches, it um, kills its um, nest mates. Siblings? Yeah. Or, or not true siblings. It's yeah. step-siblings. step-siblings. Yeah. <laughs> so it kills them and it kind of just like demands all the attention of this, of these poor foster parents who don't, don't know what they're doing. Who <laughs> got a little changeling. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like they'll hog all the nourishment and like push their siblings out of the nest. And the cuckoo birds do it knowing that that'll happen. Well, they're smart. I guess. Or just lazy. I mean, Raise your yeah. own kids, for crying out loud. I'm wondering how to do that. How do I drop my kid off? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> With Toby, sometimes I want to do that. Just oh, take him to daycare you, you all day. four dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so That's that crazy. was kind of interesting. And then I also read a little bit about, um, uh, I know we said last week we weren't sure about the difference between goblins and fae, and then fairies. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was like, oh, let me quickly figure out the difference between that. So I'm on this site that is terrifying. It's called the Light Force Network. <laughs> Society for okay. Enlightenment. And it looks like what I imagined a Scientology website to look like. <laughs> but the um, the title of this article is called Infamously Fabulous Fay," And there's a really horrific picture on the front of it. So it goes into the detail between goblins, trolls, gnomes, elves, leprechauns. And these are all considered to be under the realm of, like, fairies and the fae. So, a goblin is a type of fae. So they say a goblin is a small-sized fairy creature described as grotesquely evil. Um, They are related to the brownie and the gnome, and they are also known by the names of hobgobs, hobthrush, blobbins, boggles, bogies, brats, and boggarts. None of those are good names. No, not one. I almost read (laughs) that as bagels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it, their name means rogue. So um, it's basically like a subspecies of the fae. And they are portrayed as troublemakers and villains of the fairy kind. They're not completely evil, but they don't really seem to have a moral code. And they um, are miserly and lazy. <laughs> and they're just like pranksters. They like to um, cause a lot of mischief. Yeah, and that's what we're, we've seen already, definitely the mischief side. Yes, totally. So lots of um, fairy lore and changeling lore. I also looked up the legend of the Lorelei because that happens. Oh, I did too, actually. Oh, well, you go ahead because I've been talking for too long. No, you can because I have some other stuff too to share. Oh, okay. So I just thought it was cool that the legend of the Lorelei is, the Lorelei is actually a rock in Germany, mm-hmm. and this rock has inspired tales of the Lorelei which I thought was cool. Um, And people believe that dwarves lived in caves in the rock. And there was this German author who told the first story of the Lorelei in in his version. Um, There was an enchanting woman who um, is betrayed by her sweetheart. Her name's Lorelei. And she is accused of bewitching men and causing their death. But rather than sentencing her to death, um, she's consigned to a nunnery. But on the way there, she um, comes to the Lorelei Rock and she asks permission to climb it so she can look over at her country one more time. And she climbs it and she thinks that she sees her love in the distance and then she falls to her death. So I think it's more like she didn't want to go to the nunnery so she jumps off this rock. So then her spirit Mm -hmm. is said to be like the legend of the Lorelei that like Like lures men. Exactly. It's like Mm -hmm. a a siren. The two things that I read about it was it – so I think the reason, part of why this legend is there, that, you know, there's all these shipwrecks and deaths in this area, um, it's also because it's the deepest part of the Rhine and the narrowest part of the Rhine. So it is, like, Ooh. the most dangerous section to sail. Okay. And also, part of why it's associated with this rock is the way the wind blows or something, it creates an echo, which is what people say is the Oh, Lorelei it's like the cry of the Lorelei? Oh, yep. that's cool. So. And if you hear it, it's like too late because you're already in this treacherous passage, right? Exactly. Yep. Mm, that's creepy. Now they say there's a safe route that's marked there, so you can easily sail through it today. But oh. um, it, it also is a UNESCO World Heritage Site as of 2002. Oh, all right. So, yeah. What was the other thing that you researched? 
Oh, okay. So I looked into some different things that happen when you lose different senses. Oh, right. Because that's a huge part of the book that she's slowly going to lose all of her senses, which is horrifying. And again, it was just kind of weird to me a little bit that she would like get them back. Like I, I totally yeah. thought like every time she lost it, I was like, ooh, she's getting closer. But then like she was able to eat the strawberries and she did get her hearing back eventually too at one mm-hmm. point. Um, but I read just a bunch of random things a little bit. One thing I read was about whether or not your brain actually gets better at the senses you still have if you lose one because I've heard that oh, before. Right. Cuz they say like if you're if you go blind like you develop really sensitive hearing. Yep. And what I read was basically like the com- the brain's kind of like a computer. So if you're not using a section of it for something like if you're not getting visual stimulus, then that part of the brain will be kind of repurposed and will take up like touch and auditory processing, if you will, <laughs> okay. functions. So you do kind of have like more of your brain focused on different things. So like some blind people are able to do kind of like echolocation type stuff almost. Um, And if you've lost sight, then you'll, or if you've lost hearing, you'll compensate in other ways. So it is, I don't think necessarily proven that it's stronger or how how you measure that might be different, but more of your brain, you you still are using your full brain. It's just not divided into the same number of parts. So you have like Mm -hmm. more going to to certain places, if that makes any sense. Yeah. One thing I read a lot about was the loss of smell. So I guess it's like a lot more common than people realize. I know that certain diseases can cause loss of smell. Yeah. And they actually, this was the scariest article I started with. It's called, not to be sniffed at, why losing your sense of smell could be a sign you're about to die and dies in all caps. And I was like, oh no, because I have a terrible sense of smell. So I'm probably 10 (sighs) years from death already. I will, I will keep loving you so that you don't fade and lose your sense of <laughs> Thank smell. You. And the reason they said that isn't because, like, anything from not having a sense of smell causes death, they think. Um, although there does seem to be a higher correlation of death within 10 years if you have lost your sense is of it smell. Because, wait, is it because you can't taste anymore and then you lose the will to eat? That's what I thought it was going to be. You no, starve to death? They think it actually just shows that you are like your cells aren't working as well as they're supposed to and you're shutting them at a different rate and it's like more of a like early warning sign that like something else is wrong oh no like there's damage to the your ability to regenerate cells is what they think it is okay but um yeah if you're gonna be paranoid then i'm gonna lose my sense of smell (laughs) i know right but yeah losing taste and smell are really really highly related actually so you can really only taste like a few things. You know, it's like you can taste salt, you can taste sour, you can taste sweet, um, and bitter. And bitter. Umami. Let's not forget umami. <laughs> and it's really like your sense of smell that helps you like distinguish different flavors beyond that. So that's mm-hmm. like why, to your point, it's really an important sense. And it also is, you know, the one that can detect other things like smoke or gas leaks or if your food is spoiled oh, like yeah. they, there's a lot of issues if you can't smell in terms of your ability to detect other warning signs and then also to your point if you aren't enjoying eating you tend to lose weight and suffer other kind of nutritional deficient issues so are you going to tell everyone about the berries that we never tried oh i totally forgot about that 
I know. We kept saying we were going to have this party. Oh. This sounds where we eat these berries. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean the strawberries? Not those kind of berries. Yeah, they were called like miracle berries or something. And I had them in like a pill form from Amazon or something silly. But it was supposed to switch the, those four senses around somehow. So like sour things tasted really, really sweet. And sweet things tasted sour. Like cream cheese was supposed to taste like cheesecake and oh um i'm trying to did you say lemons were supposed to taste really good yeah like it gave you a whole list of like things you should eat after you take these berries yeah and but you were (laughs) supposed to be careful because you're still like ingesting all this like you know like you can't just eat lemons and cream cheese and be like yeah wasn't it coffee grounds that was like another thing probably yeah (laughs) you get very very sick Tastes like chocolate or something. Yeah, no, I don't know. But yeah, I think I still have them in a box oh, somewhere. But they're probably we should we, we need to do really that. We really need to sometime. do that and just have a taste like a tasting party. If any listeners have done this, we want to hear all about it. <laughs> Share us your experience in great detail. Yeah. Well, and then okay, so this is the last thing I read. It's not really completely related, but I was looking at like the impact of love on health, or Aww. I was trying to like find some connection between you know this idea that love is stronger than all this other stuff and Mm -hmm. it can like help tie you to the world so there was this uh article in from northwestern actually in january 2015 about a study at a hospital that did show that if you are in a coma and you hear loved ones telling stories that you're familiar with like personal stories um, it'll help you recover from your coma faster. Oh my gosh, really? And they think it's because those stories are stored in your long-term memory, and it, like, if you, it could, basically you recover consciousness because it awake, it awakens that part of your brain faster. That's amazing. So, like, there wasn't a, a, I guess, scientifically significant difference between patients recovering who heard stories from family members and those who didn't so I mean and you've you've heard that or at least I've heard that right like if someone's in a coma they can still hear you or you should still talk to them or whatever but it was just kind of I've heard that they can still hear you but I didn't hear that I didn't know that it could have an effect on their health yeah so it can help them that's so sweet come out of it quicker not that that again don't take what we say is like pure scientific advice and if you know someone in a coma I mean clearly (laughs) like don't hang kitchen shears over your baby's cradle (laughs) things not to do unless they're a changeling no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> then do whatever you want <laughs> if they're too smart <laughs> uh, but yeah well i liked um i liked the idea of like the goblin king the story of how he had a wife that he loved so much that he let her go because they do talk about the first goblin queen who escaped but then later twig i think tells her that she didn't escape, but the Goblin King loved her so much that he let her go, which is what he does with Lysel at the end. No, I thought that the, I thought the first one they left together. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Which is even more like I don't. I want. I'm so curious. I hope that story we get more details of that because I'm very intrigued by that legend, and I still want to understand more about like how long this guy's been Goblin King, how who he was beforehand, all that stuff. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that like they don't speak her name like her name is stricken from memory and I'm curious to know if in the second book Lysel's gonna try and figure out a way to get the king out himself because he describes himself as like I am a slave too like I'm warden of the underground um and so I think his second book's gonna be about her trying to free him now Mm -hmm. but I'm also I'm confused a little bit because 
is the world not going to turn into eternal winter now? That's what I don't that understand either. And if maybe it works both ways, maybe if he loves her, he'll prevent the eternal winter. Just like if someone loves her below, she won't wither and die. Does that make sense? Well, I know. I mean, like she's not bound by the same promise because they like undid their promise. But then I'm confused because I didn't think the promise was the only reason that that was happening. Yeah, I agree. And, again, even to that point, like, everything there happened so fast. Why didn't the Goblin King tell her she could leave stuff for her siblings? Or if she really couldn't, why didn't he warn her more about it? And, like, there's just so many things where I'm like, oh, my goodness, someone needs to learn how to communicate better. Especially, you think (laughs) if you've had multiple wives throughout the years, you'd have, like, learned how to talk to women, but I guess not. I like how it's almost like um, this book reminded me of so many other stories, like, definitely Beauty and the Beast. Um, Yeah. And we already talked about Labyrinth and the Phantom of the Opera, but it also reminds me a little bit of Bluebeard's The Legend of Bluebeard. I don't know. Where, like, it's like the legend where this woman marries this guy and he gives her a key and he's like, you can open any door in the palace, but not the door to, like, that's in the floor or something like that. He, he says, like, you can open every door except this one, this trunk or whatever. Uh-huh. And so, of course, she opens it because, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Even if you wouldn't have ever opened it when someone tells you not to. Yeah. And she finds, like, all the corpses of his other wives. So, like, he killed all of his other wives, and, and like, that's what was in the trunk. And it kind of reminds me of that when she finds all of the other wives' dresses, and she's, yeah. like, going through them all, and it's, like, it's so shocking and horrific that she has all these other dresses of other brides who withered and died underground because their, like, life force was, was used up. Well, and it goes back to the whole, like, the goblins being not quite evil, but, like, liking their mischief, because they, like, reveled in telling her about, you know, like, making that connection for her and stuff. But again, my big issue, I think, it's not even that they eventually became attracted to each other or had sex or any of that stuff, even, my biggest issue is that they, like, never courted. Like, I was just like, how did you, what is going on? Well, okay, the other thing, though, I think the one thing is that they do connect a lot through music. Yeah. And I think the author does a really nice job of taking the idea of music and exploring the sensuality of music. Mm-hmm. Because that, you know, that's very much a thing. Like, you could say that music ignites a lot of the senses. And I actually, I love, I mean, the wedding night scene was rough in a lot of ways, but I love that she took all that and did create music from it. Like, I love that that, you know, mm-hmm. when she was writing with Cole on her wedding dress, but she yeah. had, like, all this frustration and all this... right anger and confusion and like I just I want to hear the music (laughs) and she like released it into this form of creativity Mm -hmm. and creation yeah I I agree I liked that and I thought that um she made some nice kind of metaphors and um the way she describes love and music together I think was really nice even though I wasn't I'm not necessarily rooting for them as a couple but I appreciate the way the author is describing their um, their interactions together in terms yeah. of music and and sensuality and lust and like that musicality tie-in is it's kind of nice. But it's also it's not like I want them to be with anyone else either. Like it's not like oh I don't think they're right for each other. It's just like I don't know that they're perfect for each other. Yeah, well we just don't like know him enough. Yeah. And I think we do need to see him be a little bit more vulnerable and hear about his backstory. And I think even understanding, like, what are the promise, like, what actually is the deal that has to be kept? Because I don't even know what kind of sacrifice he made. Is he just sad because 
he loves her? Did he have to do something in order to allow her to go? Like, what did he... What did he have to give up? Because I'm sure it's something. This entire yeah. book is about sacrifice. I'm sure it is too, but we just don't know yeah. what yet. Yeah. And I'm I'm also excited to see how everyone reacts when she comes back. Like, I'm really curious to see life above ground. Me too. Because I really like Yosef and I really like Ka- Katie. <laughs> And yeah, and even her grandmother, like I want to see, I want to see what's going on with that. And I just want to see how they react to her being gone. Like if they really don't remember. Like I'm just kind of curious how that all works. Like what part of their memory comes back or doesn't come back. Yeah, how. and how she kind of fits into her new life. Because she, I mean, the whole reason she wanted, she gave herself up to him entirely, was because she wasn't satisfied with her life above ground. And we do get like those kind of horrible flashbacks where she's kind of hallucinating and like thinks she sees Joseph and she thinks she sees her father where like you see how that she was really mistreated and undervalued was when she was younger. Like that scene where she composes the music and then Joseph plays it for her father and her father's like, Oh, Joseph, you are the most talented boy in the world. (laughs) I like your voice. (laughs) I don't know where that that (laughs) is. But then he tells her that, like, um, his sister did it. He tells his dad that Lysel did it, and he's like, well, you know what? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. That was a good attempt for you. Yeah. And it was just like, it's the same piece. Like, it doesn't matter if <laughs> yeah. your son did it or your daughter did it, yeah. you know? And But knowing that she composed it tainted his view of it. Yeah. And so that kind of was, like, an eye-opener for me. Like, oh, okay, your life was not really great above ground, and people did not appreciate you or think that you could do anything when you're really this talented composer. So how she goes back to that and kind of accepts that is going to be interesting to see. And now that she's got more confidence in her music, if she's Mm -hmm. able to kind of take that and keep that, or if, you know, she'll become self-conscious and unsure of herself again or or whatnot, will be interesting to see. I'm excited. I actually, like, I think talking about it has made me more excited even than when I finished the first book to read the second one. I am really enjoying reading it. I think there's just parts that I don't understand, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure all will be revealed. It's really a little bit outside my comfort zone. Like this is not a book I would probably read on my own, but I'm also enjoying it while reading it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it definitely falls into the category of um, new adult rather than young adult. Which I was reading a little bit about because I think um, they I, they were just saying that like young adult is more of, you know, they're characters who are usually no older than 17 and it's more of a coming of age story and the kids are supposed to be a little bit more dependent. Um, and there is sex in young adult, but it's usually more focused on emotions and the graphic part of it's kind of glossed over. Whereas like new mm-hmm. adult, the characters are usually independent have adult responsibilities and are in their late teens or early 20s and the sex scenes are more graphic so i would say this is definitely more new adult i think red rising was definitely a new adult if not just plain old sci-fi and i think um shades of magic would be new adult i think that yeah yeah i was just trying to go back and like categorize books we've already read and been like oh is, is this young adult or new adult but yeah i would say this is more new adult which is fine. I buy it. We, we can read N.A. <laughs> M and K talk N.A. <laughs> as long as it's not full adult. We're good. M and K talk nah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's yeah, nah. Yeah, it's a nah. And then we're going to have a spinoff podcast that's just erotic fiction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And a line of t-shirts and a band. So get ready, everybody. Oh, I everybody. forgot about the band. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, should we introduce... So we finished the first book. It's a duology, so we only have one more book to read. Yeah, which is kind of nice. Um, and this... Yeah, it's kind of fun to know that we don't have to wait around, especially because sometimes middles, middle of the series can be slow. I agree. But this one is called Shadow Song, and it's by the same author, obviously, S.J. Jones. And we will read up to the part called Interlude mm. for next week. The second interlude, because there's a couple interludes in the book, and we're going to read up to the second one. Which I like that it. it's another musical tie-in. Yeah, hopefully that means she's still composing. And okay, Are you so going to read the back? This is the back, yep. Great. The covenant is broken. They say the hunt rides abroad when there is an imbalance between the underground and the land of the living. The price must be paid, a life for a life. It is what they are owed. Now Liesl must choose. Will her choice set her free, or will it shatter her forever? Oh, was that it? Instead of on Goodreads, where we got the entire <laughs> plot. <laughs> the first one was so long. I was expecting it to go on for ages. Okay. That is a really short little teaser. There's a little bit more on the inside cover. No, but, no. I, I want to be surprised. Um, I did, I did want to say one thing. Um, there is an author's note at the beginning of this book that I just when I was trying to find the halfway point, I stopped on. And it says that Shadow Song contains characters who deal with self-harm, addiction, reckless behaviors, and suicidal ideation. So if those subjects are triggering or otherwise upsetting, please proceed with caution. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that. And on a lighter note, would you like to hear a joke? Very much so. (laughs) So my mom, dad, James, and I are on like a text chain for mostly wedding stuff. but Your goblin wedding? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your goblin king underground wedding. (laughs) Can't wait to get invited to that. <laughs> Today, my dad just started sending jokes. And I was like, Dad, do you want me to use this in my podcast? And he's like, yes, that's why I'm sending them. So I'm going to use an actual joke from my dad today. Oh, that's so sweet. So a weasel walks into a bar and the bartender says, wow, I've never served a weasel before. What can I get you? Pop, goes the weasel. <laughs> <laughs> But I also want to tell you the joke I, I was planning that. to use that my dad vetoed because it wasn't uh, an official. He said, I'm a dad. I like mine better when I told him my joke. <laughs> okay. But what should the 10th installation of The Fast and the Furious be called? The 10th installation of The Fast and the Furious. Um, the slow and the not angry anymore. Fast know. 10, your seatbelts. <laughs> That's a good one, right? I like that a lot. Fast 10 years. <laughs> but thanks for yours too, Dad. Thank you so much, Katie's dad. Um, okay, so thank you everyone for listening. And we wanted to quickly tell you if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, we would super appreciate it. Or if you just want to follow us on Instagram and look at cute pictures of our dogs, you can do that too. <laughs> we are on Instagram at M and K Talk YA. Or you can send us a message on Gmail. We have a Gmail account. It's called mnktalkya at gmail.com. The and is spelled out. And we would love to hear dad jokes, book recommendations. Sign you up for Super Fan Sunday. Anything. Yeah, if you want to be a super fan and want to talk about the books with us, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. 
For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.